Gentlemen, welcome to the Radlitchin Broadcasting Network Movie Review Club. Tonight we are reviewing Pan, and if you're wondering, well, what the heck was that? You've either seen this movie, or more, if you've seen this movie, you probably went away, walked away wondering what the heck was that. That also means you're not confused about that little intro song, because that's our introduction to both Neverland and Hugh Jackman's Blackbeard in the movie Pan, which we'll be discussing tonight. It's never adequately explained, and you're going to be hearing that phrase a lot. <laughs> Why Hugh Jackman has this bizarre obsession with both Nirvana and the Ramones, but he does. And, you know, as a guy who appreciates taking songs and making them creepier, a bunch of kids in slave labor being forced to sing along to Nirvana should be right up my alley, but, man, it was just so... I mean, Mark, there was no purpose for this. I mean, you, you know, you, you actually like Nirvana. I don't. But that was just thrown in there because it seemed like someone thought, hey, this might be cool. And it, I mean, you can't just do that with movies. You know, you need, it has to fall within the sense of the narrative. And I mean, it just, it makes no sense. And again, that's another thing we're going to be saying a lot. So, Mark, are you as confused as I am about all of this? It honestly took me out of the movie. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this and I and I hear it, I'm like no they're they're not and then he started singing it you know like he was like soloing he was like with that light on it's the same dress he was like oh my god there's my wife and I actually looked at each other and sneered and and the whole rest of the time the movie I'm like okay Nirvana this Peter Pan goes to Neverland 
in the middle of what was it, World War II? Yeah, so he's probably mid 1940s. Uh, okay. Especially during the uh, especially during the London bombing. So this is early 40s, late 30s. Okay, so Nirvana won't come into being for another 50 to 60 <laughs> years. And yeah. I, and so I spent the rest of the movie trying to figure out is Blackbeard a time traveler? Is he? He has to be. Because he actually has a line about it in his opening bit of dialogue when he says, you're here from every continent, from every walk of life, and from every era. So not only are you a planet-traveling pirate in your little pirate ships, you can apparently travel through time as well. And so that's the only way that made any sense to me. And I asked him, did I miss something? Blackbeard is a time lord. (laughs) I don't even like Doctor Who. I'm like, did I... Is there is there a thing? Is there something happening in the culture where you know turning uh, songs from the '90s, uh, so you know well-known rock and roll songs into pirate shanties? Is that is that a thing? Only if you're Ailstorm. Yeah, Ailstorm's a great band. I agree. I like Ailstorm. Uh, I mean, if you want another, I mean, again, this should be right up my alley because I like creepy stuff. There's a different re- a different version of this song that was played over the uh pre the over the trailer to the found footage horror crap fest called The Gallows. That was much better than this, much creepier. Tori Amos does a piano solo version of Rain and Blood by Slayer, which is absolutely haunting. So I'm not against the idea. I just, you know, there's a time it's and a place. It's got to make sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I, I don't want someone to remake, like, Gone with the Wind and then have them play uh, Gangster's Paradise, but have it sung by Prairie Children. Oh, come on. Now, that would be awesome. <laughs> In large part because any version of Gangster's yeah. Paradise that's not the original is awesome. Fair enough. But, yeah, that was, uh, I, I had a rough time getting back in the movie, and then at the end of it, they they fully ripped off the Death Star sequence scene in Star Wars. <laughs> so we'll get Boy, there. They. <laughs> You're all oh, sick, kids. Now let's blow this thing and go home. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah, again, I've mentioned before, we're talking about Pan. Uh, not a Disney movie in this particular instance. I looked it up. It's uh, The production companies are both Berlanti Productions and Rat Pack Dune. It's distributed by Warner Brothers. And this, uh, gonna be honest, tell y'all right now, if you haven't picked up on it already, this movie's kind of a mess. As far as the plot synopsis, I'll be very brief here. Uh, we open with a woman, played by Amanda Seyfried, uh, depositing baby Peter Pan at the gates of an orphanage. This particular orphanage is very, very, uh, Dickensian. Uh, Peter Pan is actually kidnapped by the space pirates, which are in this instance again part of Blackbeard's crew with most of the orphans from his orphanage because the nun in charge is selling them off because she's Irish and therefore evil, I assume. I don't know. None of this is talked about. Uh, They are taken to Neverland where they are impressed into slave labor mining pixie dust for Blackbeard who uses it to remain eternally young and stave off death. As far as evil villain motivation goes, I'm fine with it. 
Uh, look, Hugh Jackman's Blackbeard is one of the great missed opportunities of this movie for a variety of reasons. Uh, well, imprisoned, Peter Pan meets a young James Hook, played by Garrett Hedlund, played so unevenly, written so unevenly. I've seen Garrett Hedlund be charming on screen. He's a darn good emotional core for Tron Legacy, but here he's just, ugh, again, uneven. No one knows how to write Captain Hook. And that's not just here. I mean, Steven Spielberg's the only one who's given us a decent screen rendition of Captain Hook. And God bless Dustin Hoffman for pulling that off. They escape from custody uh, with Smee, who is an Indian man in this instance. Not Native American Indian, but Indian from India. They escape into the forest of Neverland, where they meet the natives, who are apparently the... Look... I know we don't want caricatures and, you know, anything of offensive stereotypes. If you're going to have a tribe of natives, you, they should all at least look the same. Look around that tribe of natives, and I'm not entirely sure any of them are from the same background, genetically well, speaking. I, I, can, I can tell you what's connecting them all. They're the lost tribe of Pottery Barn. <laughs> Something like that. Jeez. They... they they had like crafts and stuff hanging out of their hair. I mean, clearly, you know, clearly that this is the, this was the lost tribe of next projects. Uh, uh, there they discuss a lot. Uh, the, once there, they discover that Peter is actually this. His mother was a human who fought for the natives against Blackbeard. She might have been native to Neverland. She was ba Blackbeard's love. She was. Rescued from Blackbeard and seduced by the uh, fairy prince. So Peter is half and half, because why not? That's apparently what every savior character needs. You must be half and half. Uh, uh, the natives are ambushed by Blackbeard, who has followed them. They decide they have to get Peter Pan to the secret entrance into the fairy kingdom. So to release the fairies and then fight back against Blackbeard, Blackbeard wants to go there because all of the pixie dust, uh, which is about the sum total of it. There's a big fight scene on flying pirate ships at the end. Uh, Captain Hook uh, leaves them at one point, then comes back again, as Mark said, completely ripping off Han Solo's departure and return from Star Wars A New Hope. Blackbeard is ultimately killed, Peter Pan realizes he can fly, becomes one with the fairy people, having mastered the four elements. Seriously, I watched this final sequence and went, well, congratulations if you wanted to turn Peter Pan into, uh, into Aang from The Last Airbender. You have succeeded <laughs> into a much better degree than M. Night Shyamalan did, sir. <laughs> so before this goes any further, um, I want to talk a little bit about Warner Brothers. Um, oh, that bumbling bunch of buffoons. I'm looking at the top 10 highest grossing films of 2015 so far. Universal Picture has the first two spots. Uh, that's Warner what? Jurassic World and... Furious 7. Furious 7, okay. Uh, Marvel Studios comes in at number three, and that's part of Walt Disney. Minions is your third one, Universal Pictures. That comes in at number four. And back to Disney again with Inside Out. At number six, we have Rogue Nation, um, Paramount Pictures. Yeah. 
Universal gets the number seven slot with Fifty Shades of Grey, and Walt Disney comes back again with number eight at Cinderella. Warner Brothers' only high, uh, highest-grossing film this year was San Andreas. Yeah, that that studio has had a bad couple of years. Well, I'm looking from a financial now, standpoint. I'm looking at like the number um, the uh, the worst grossing films of all time. I'm trying to figure out like just just for 2015 and um, they've had what three box office flops this year? Uh, well, Jupiter Ascending is one. Yep. Hang on, I'm going to do this by year. Uh, right now, they've got two... Uh, Warner Brothers has two movies, 16 and 25, on the uh, biggest box office bombs um, between 1995 and 2015. And uh, number 16 is Jupiter Ascending, and number 25 is Tomorrowland. Yeah, they've... Uh... Yeah, Tomorrowland was the other one I was thinking of. Yeah, they've had a rough stretch of it financially. And this isn't going to change their fortunes, folks. For those of you who don't know, this movie cost $150 million to make. None of that budget was spent on competent writing. <laughs> uh, I imagine Hugh Jackman got a good portion of it, and God bless Hugh Jackman. Look, I have to say this now. Hugh Jackman has an odd career in that he is a very talented and gifted actor when he wants to be. When put in the right position, Hugh Jackman is awesome. He also takes movies very frequently that I imagine have one, or one of two motivations. Maybe they overlap. On the one hand, the man has to get paid. Every, everybody, unless you're Daniel Day-Lewis, Every actor has taken roles just for the paycheck. That is not an insult. That is not demonizing anyone or anything. You got to get paid. This is your job. Two, he takes them because he thinks they look like fun. And I'm not going to. Here's why I will not mock you, Jackman, for taking either of those two roles. Because the man has the decency and the professionalism to show up and put forth effort. Even when the movies are crap. All right. Real quick, uh, well, real quick I, Jupiter Ascending was the only one from this year from Warner Brothers. The, the other one was Walt Disney with Tomorrowland, which we talked about at length. That's one of the record on that. Okay. Um, but yeah, Warner Brothers is having a is having a real tough time here. You know, like if Batman vs Superman next year doesn't hit it out of the park, I'm not sure oh, what it's going to do. You know, it will. Um, yeah, I mean, people will go see it, for sure. I imagine it'll be pretty good. I mean, again, you and I talked at length about why we liked Man of Steel and why everyone who complained that it sucked was wrong. <laughs> um, so the reason why I bring that up is, you know, the, the, this film got pushed back from its summer release schedule. Um, there was production problems with it. They pushed it back from summer to October. Uh, one of the guys that we, we talked to um, offline, um, Gavin Napier from The Casual Heroes, like, this was a terrible release. I mean, they, they tried to release it for Columbus Day, thinking maybe the extra day 
off, uh, not in Florida, we don't celebrate Columbus Day down here, but the rest of the country where, where, where kids were off from school. Wait, uh, seriously? Your state, is, your state is screwed, man. Just I have to say that again. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but we all, you know, most most states have off for Columbus Day. And they figured, okay, well, that's a four-day weekend, you know, and people will go take their kids to this. And it um, it got terrible word of mouth. And you have to wonder what audience were they – what audience were they going for here? I they don't know. <laughs> I mean, you look at the script, and just and we'll talk about this in a bit. But even when they were making it, they didn't know. Well, you and I talked about this in, during our uh, at the end of our review of uh, the, uh, the Martian, where I said, "Look, I wanted to take my daughter to go see Pan. It's part of the reason why I added it to the schedule to begin with." And my wife was like, no, it's going to be really too intense for her. And when the movie was over, she was like, yeah, she would have hated this. Uh, so, you know, if you can't, if, you, if you're not gearing this for kids, who the fuck are you gearing it for? And I'm not entirely certain kids would have enjoyed this movie. I don't think they would have. I mean, and look, I got to get this out of the way because I mentioned they don't know who they're aiming this movie at. This movie has the most severe case of dissociative identity disorder I've ever seen in a film. The whole beginning of it, the whole first act of Peter in the orphanage is drab and boring, you know, and, and then, you know, the I, nun- I mean, it, it opens and you think, okay, there might be telling Peter Pan's, I mean, look, the opening act, it feels like the first part of a Dickens novel. That wasn't right. a joke on my part. It legitimately feels like poor orphan, War-torn England, down on his luck, drab. When please. he when he says, you know, is there is this all? Is there any food? I mean, did you think they were going to break into Oliver Twist? The food, my mind. Food. <laughs> uh, I swear, I thought they were going to break out into into song. Well, they did later, and it was Nirvana. <laughs> you know, I swear to God, when he, when, I'd like more, please, more? Yeah, it, it feels like that. It very much does. And then they whisk you away to Neverland, and I can understand in some part wanting to paint maybe the real world as drab and boring for Peter, and then Neverland as his true home, so everything's more vibrant. It doesn't come across that way. No, because you spend the next half of the movie either in a rock quarry, He's or, still stuck in a Dickens novel. He just moved from the orphanage to the, you know, the salt mines. And then they're lost in the jungle. So there's never a really a part of Neverland. I, you know, I said the movie looks pretty, and there are parts of it that it does, but only parts of it. You know, I, I, the, the natives are very colorful looking. I like made the Pottery Barn joke. It doesn't make any sense, but I thought, I, I thought, you know, and then them getting killed and turning into, and turning into colorful dust. Oh, that took me so far out of the movie for a couple of minutes. <laughs> well, my wife and I had a good laugh at that. You know, we were just like, oh, that's fun. That's a, that's, a, that's an interesting way to kill people. I didn't know what was happening at first. My wife you thought actually they were shooting me... giant paintballs at the natives, maybe? <laughs> I honestly thought that's what was happening. I was like, what? What Are they throwing paintballs at them? Oh, they're dying. Oh, I get it now. Okay. Yeah, because, for those again, if you haven't seen the movie, and judging by the numbers, you haven't, when they kill the when the natives die, they explode into these giant 
there's just giant explosions of bright colors, powder colors. I, I mean, I don't even if you've ever been to one of those like togetherness festivals at a, a Krishna temple and they throw that colored powder on you, that's what these people are made of. And there's <laughs> apparently a lot of surface tension because as soon as it's ruptured, they explode. Now, I understand one of the controversies, speaking of the natives, and we're all over the place here, but I, I understand it's one of the controversies. For the movie. This movie's all over the place. We can be too. One of the controversies of this movie was the quote unquote whitewashing of uh, Tiger Lily. And I think that was a little of my least problem with this movie. My bigger problem is that they cast Rooney Mara, who I have an extraordinarily low opinion of. I mean, I thought she, she was fine. The problem was she, she was yet. Look, I made the joke before that, that that this was basically Star Wars, and it is. This was this was a this was a crappy Star Wars, which is in and of itself a rip off of any number of other better <laughs> westerns or samurai movies. I feel like they put a dollar in a vending machine, and out came a paint by numbers adventure script. That's yeah, about that, right. <laughs> that grew directly from Star Wars. So you had the Messiah character, you know, the poor boy who grows up to be a hero, you know, the chosen one. You had the rogue in Captain Hook, and you had the princess. So considering there was nothing native about her, there was nothing native about this tribe, you know, again, it was just a bunch of people running around, you know, in, in arts and crafts material. I didn't really care that she was white. It wasn't, you know, some people were like, oh, it says in the books that, you know, it's a particular tribe. and this Oh, and piss off on the source material for this. I was going to say, they went so far from the source material, I don't think it matters anymore. Really? You're gonna of all the gripes you have about them screwing with the source material, you're gonna cherry pick the race one, you bunch of God. <laughs> so uh yeah, I, I again, my issue with Rooney Mara is I I don't like her. I don't like what she brings to any movie. I have an extraordinarily low opinion of her professionalism, I have an extraordinary low opinion of her talents, and I just feel she detracts from anything she's in. Um, they name dropped Tinkerbell for no good reason. That annoyed yeah, me. No reason. Not at all. It was literally it was like, like there's a checklist of things they needed to include in Peter Pan, and they were like, well, we haven't brought up Tinkerbell yet, so we'll have them say, oh, I've met a fairy. Her name is Tinkerbell. And then forget it ever happened. Uh, and and somehow or other that could rallied. have been integrated so much better. Yeah. There, there was I mean, a there, there was a lot of ways they could have made that better, you know. Uh, this they they okay. So I was talking about how the movie looks. So you never when we talked about Tomorrowland, the only time we ever you ever see Tomorrowland is when is when uh, you have the main character who um, is still playing with the pin, and she gets what 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 amounts to be a um, an advertisement for Tomorrowland. It's a recruiting video. Yeah, so recruiting video. But all that you can be. But at least when you were there, it, t Tomorrowland took you to a different place. It did take you to a place of hope and wonder. And it looked beautiful on the screen. Peter Pan never, uh, Pan never does that. Pan never takes you anywhere. You know, you go from, the, you go from Charles Dickens, England, to a, a rock quarry, to the jungle. And then at the very end, you have... You know, you're fighting in the bookshelf from Interstellar. It looked like I just like I didn't know <laughs> they had. You know, I was like, "Oh, we're into the Fairy Kingdom." <laughs> fairy Kingdom. Listen, I've seen four different uh, Tinkerbell movies. The Fairy Kingdom looks awesome. 
it doesn't look like it does in, in, in anything in this movie. I was like, oh, they, well, they, the fairy kingdom had to like pack up and go into hiding. Okay, so so now we're back in a we're now we're in a cave filled with stalagmites of, of pixie dust. Fantastic. Yeah, it's. I mean, again, there is one sequence that actually manages to impart a bit of the joy and wonder that is supposed to be Neverland, and that's when they're flying in with the bunch of kidnapped kids. Right. Because you get some truly awesome stuff there. I mean, there's a bunch of you know, different, like, water balls suspended in midair with fish in them, and you have flying fish that travel between them, and one of them has a giant crocodile. And you get a moment of, because like, Neverland is the place of the impossible. Anything can happen there. It's meant to be this, you know, joyous, bright, beautiful place. And they sucked all of that out of it for this movie. Well, that's the thing. It's like they get to Neverland, and you know, and they're singing Nirvana for no good reason. And out walks Darth Vader, uh, as played by Hugh Jackman, and he, and he's like, "Welcome to Neverland. You'll be rewarded as long as you." And then you didn't see any of that. He might as well have. He, he might as well have come out and said, "Welcome to Neverland, the place of your final resting place." It, it didn't matter. You know, I would have liked to have seen. He's gonna say like like if you work hard you'll be rewarded. Well then show kids being rewarded. If we're gonna spend time here, then show me what it is. To, you know, if it's a slave labor camp, why is he making that kind of an announcement? <laughs> There's no. I mean, it was like like being over the top just to be over the top. But it's like that you know, thing is, I get what they're going for. Uh, and bear in mind, I mean, look, he's just a dictator over his slave labor camp. But rather than keep everyone in line. By threatening them at every turn, he gets them in line with promises by occasionally rewarding someone for doing something well and violently punishing those who disobey, but keeping everyone else feeling that. like a community. Again, I get this because I've seen that story told better. I've seen you know news reports about it. Uh, so I understand what they're going for. They just failed miserably to execute it. Uh, did you ever see the animated Pinocchio uh, by Walt Disney? Okay, so there's a whole sequence where, where Pinocchio goes to, what the fuck is the name of it? The island. We'll just call the it the island. Right, the way he goes to the island. And at least there, you get a second. Now you understand why these kids are running away from home. At, you know, before they're, you know, it's a bait, it's, it's a bait uh, situation for Stromboli. But at least, you know, they have this opportunity to, like, have fun and break stuff and everything before Stromboli shows up and kidnaps them and turns them into puppets or whatever the hell he does. Uh, Stromboli, you're confusing characters. That particular island turns on misbehaving children into donkeys, which are then pressed into labor. I However, your point, the point remains. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would have liked to have seen here, to at least show me any reason why the kids haven't picked up pickaxes and started swinging them at people. You know, either that or you have to be brutal, in which case, stop yelling, welcome to Neverland. Again, I understand what they were trying to do. I just absolutely believe they failed. Nobody does this, though. You know, slave ships did not arrive in Virginia, and out walks, you know, the Colonel Sanders yelling, welcome to Virginia! And the blacks get off the boat, and it's like, uh, why? (laughs) There's, There's nothing good here. No, look, the point here is, and again, this is actually a, much more relevantly, so, so to speak, this is more a government form of control than it is 
a localized slave labor thing. You get this a lot with dystopian futures. Okay, you have but, a you government still, that, but this is still a movie, and you still have to show something. I'm not you, disagreeing. Again, they failed miserably to execute this idea. Absolutely miserably. So, yeah. As, so those, I mean, cult those, leaders do the same thing. No, sure. But even then, but again, the failure to execute. Right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with with any of what you're saying. I'm saying if that's the case, then you then they they failed to do any of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you get the discipline portion when Hook kicks a couple of kids off of his ships and they fall to their death. Right. Bear in mind, that's what happens. He <laughs> kicks a kid off of the floating ship that has walked the plank. Kid falls to his death. <laughs> I actually laughed at that. I, I mean, again, my issue here is I, I, we've talked about a couple of other movies this year that I felt had identity issues. Uh, Ant-Man specifically, I, because, again, I watched Ant-Man and was like, okay, this is the stuff that Edgar Wright wanted in there. This is the stuff the actual director wanted in there. And here's Marvel Studios saying we must have X, Y, and Z. And it's obvious. You can tell. At least with Ant-Man, it's everyone telling the same story. You have different voices. You have different jokes. You have different quirks. But they're all telling fundamentally the same story. Uh, with the Fantastic Four, the, you know, less than adequate four, the dear God, why, why, why four. The morose four. I mean, even with that, you had two very distinct movies, and you can argue that they were telling different stories. Again, we talked about that at length. My point there is they were both at least trying to tell movies within the same genre, though one can debate whether or not, you know, Trang wanted to do a superhero movie at all. I don't think he did. He wanted a Chronicle sequel because he thinks he's an artist. And, but again, my point being... It was obvious which was done by which guy and whatnot, but it's not jarring in the sense that we're switching everything about the movie. Here, this movie doesn't know what it wants to be. I mean, again, Fantastic Four. The studio wanted a superhero movie. Trang wanted a gritty, surrealistic, I hate the military and everyone in authority, and if I can squeeze in found footage, so be it. And they clashed over that, but at the end of the day, we got at least a somewhat we we got a superhero movie. This is not sure whether it's a Dickensian tale, you know, along the lines of Great Expectations, an adventure movie like uh, Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, first one. I'll I'll specify there. Uh, you know, some kind of fantasy epic soap opera like Star Wars. A goofy kids movie, or something that manages to appeal to kids with uh, and adults at the same time. It's everywhere. This movie does not have an identity. Right, and then it, it establishes no sense of wonder. I said there are times where the movie looks very pretty. The the colors, especially with the natives, the, come out. You know, really. And then they fight on trampolines, which is just the dumbest thing. I've seen that before. That didn't bother me. Um, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that there's at least contrast with certain colors 
but there's but again it's it, there's only small parts of the movie where that happens it's a, it's like a hundred minutes of drabness 11 minutes of color um but on top of that the uh yeah it just it, it that's it. it it was just sort of a schmaltzy paint by numbers I know you're saying it was all over the place, but I'll, I'll just go with fantasy. It was a schmaltzy paint-by-numbers fantasy movie. There was nothing to it. They 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 rushed certain things, like the introduction of Tinkerbell, who's a major character, by the way, and they just they just gloss over that. They keep alluding to the fact that eventually Peter and Hook will become enemies, but they don't in this movie, and they they just have that line at the end, you know, where he says, "We're going to be best friends forever." It's like, sure, what could possibly go wrong? Except that he's been an asshat this entire movie, whose only interest, whose only interest in furthering the plot was making sure he got out of the rock quarry and that he wanted to get into Rooney Mara's pants for no discernible reason, other than apparently she's the only woman he's seen in however long he's been on the island. Well, you know, she's be, not that attractive. Prison does that to men. I, um, I'm aware, and he's been in prison for a long time, so I forgive it. But yeah, it just. I don't know what else to say about this movie. It was, I mean, uh, there's a couple of things I want to touch on specifically before we get into some of the sure. overall problems. I, I need to talk about some of the individual performances. Uh, first of all, again, Hugh Jackman, God bless him. If he took this role because he thought it would be fun to be a pirate or he just needed the money, he at least shows up and he tries. And yes, he chews scenery left and right. There's no getting around it. But I, at least I feel like he didn't just show up and read lines. And no, I felt bad that about many other people, some in this movie. <laughs> so I, I really needed to kind of single that out and go, you know, good for you, man. You have some, you know, professional integrity that even though this sucks, I'm not going, it's not going to suck because of me. And I I have to applaud him for that. So don't get me wrong. Very uneven. Very, uh, his the character is written very. Uh, it was stock. You know, it's he's essentially uh, every witch, every like female villain in in a fantasy movie. Oh, I have found I have found the fountain of youth. He's uh, what's her, mother? Oh God, Gothel. Rapunzel character. Mother Gothel. Yeah, he's Mother Gothel. <laughs> and uh, and again, let me be clear. I don't mind your villains being straightforward evil for, simply for the sake of being evil and seeking to perpetuate your own life at the expense of anything and everything else is evil. Let's not beat around the bush. I'm fine. Again, I don't need all of my characters to be nuanced. I just need them to make sense. And... Unfortunately, with this Blackbeard, we get his motivation. Again, live forever. But here's the thing. I don't understand why anybody was still with him. Because look, if you're a pirate, right, you're paying people to crew your ship to steal resources, gold, etc. And you're paying people out of, out of your rate. So why is anyone loyal to you? you know, if you're a gangster, why is everyone? Because you're paying them. And you're paying them more than they would get anywhere else to do what they do what was anyone's motivation for staying with him no, it's, a, it's a huge gaping hole in the plot like i mean 
again, he should people should be staying with him either because he's paying them or they're too afraid to leave, and they don't deal with either. Like you get why you get somewhat why the kids won't leave because they fucking change you. But why is anyone loyal to him? Yeah, again, it's not discussed. There are two reasons a villain has loyalty from their henchmen. They're either their henchmen are either so evil on their own that they're just fine being with evil overlord. They're being paid, or they're being browbeaten and intimidated into staying. And it's not hard to pick one of those three. But you have to pick one. But you have to do something. Yeah, you have no. There was no reason why why anyone should have been loyal to Blackbeard because he's not mining anything that makes any of them any money. So, you know, one of the things I said in the movie is, you know, the mine's starting to run low on on pixie dust, pixum as they called it. Uh, so that you know they need more boys to mine to to mine more of the rock because he's running low. And if you're a pirate in that situation working for Blackbeard, you're going, and what is my cut of this? Because there was no other treasure that I saw. And it would have been so easy for, you know, the kids to be pulling out rubies, sapphires, diamonds, and for the pirates to keep them. And the kid going, I found something. Isn't this good? No, that's not what we're after. I'll take it, but no, get back to work. Right. It's, you know, basically, like, I don't care about the treasure Whatever treasure, you pirates, whatever treasure the kid, the, the, the boys find is yours. All I, you know, all I want. But any of this, God help you, get between me and my pixie dust. Right. I say, you know, keep what hey, you look, find. Hey, made the movie the better. And then, you know, and then that could have been like, what is the pixie dust even for? You know, because they, they show the audience midway through the movie that it's to keep him young. But that would have been a fun thing in the movie if the pirate was like, I don't know what he wants it for, but, you know, fuck it, you know. We don't care. We get everything else. If he wants this, screw it. Yeah. How much, there's so much gold and there's so much silver in these mines. I don't fucking care what, you know, why, you know. And and, that, and then, they, then they could have been mean to the children for that reason because they're really getting something out of this. So they've got a lot of stake in this operation. But it just gets glossed over. Because it's fucking Peter Pan is Jedi. And they had to concentrate on him. One flying. big gloss over. Because what do they focus on? They focus on Peter Pan flying, which the which the only reason why he could fly was because he had pixie dust. Well, in the original, in this, he's half pixie, so it's different, which I'm fine with. But <laughs> you're half pixie. Again, it's stupid. It's lazy. It's stock. But if you're gonna go with it, fine. Just understand that we don't have to fixate on it. <laughs> and that's another thing. They go into this whole backstory about, you know, the, the what was it, the fairy king and... Um, the fairy uh, prince finding, you know, the girl that Blackbeard loved and had locked up on his ship. And it, it's just pointless. Like, show... Like, why didn't they show any of the fairy kingdom? Because the fairy kingdom in this instance is simply the inside of a geode. That's my point, though. That that was an opportunity to really take us like when they did the flashbacks. See, when they did the flashback sequences, instead of doing it as, as the uh, planetarium laser light show, the way they did it in the movie, they should those, have. Those weren't just lazily done. They were lazy <laughs> plot devices. Oh, they you just... want to know what happened? By the way, we've got this tree here. They uh... and it stores memories. 
they should have gone full flashback. They should have said Neverland was what, because if they wanted to show, again, contrast and really take you somewhere, it's like, once upon a time, the fairies ruled Neverland. And then fucking show it. Show yeah. this show this magical place of fair, you know, and then make the fairies look bigger. Um, and, you know, show what they show in the Tinkerbell movies, basically. You know, the big tree that produces all the pixie dust and show, uh, you know, you know the fairies, you know, bringing springtime to, to uh, you know, different, uh, different seasons and painting bugs. <laughs> they, they really, they had an opportunity to link this with the, with the Walt Disney Tinkerbell movies and even, okay, so they're two different production companies, but still, they had, they, they, it was there for the taking. They could have, they could have come up with this whole creative, imaginative world uh, where the fairy kingdom was and then shown Blackbeard fucking ransacking the place, you know, like, oh, and then, you know, then Blackbeard came and, and they all went into hiding, blah, you know, what blah, blah, blah. And show like that's part of his origin story, and that would have been fine. But it's like you got none of that. You got like a brief explanation that that kind of happened, and that's it. And then just a bunch of you know people holding lighters. Oh, and then uh, lest lest we forget, there's apparently a section of the river that is charged with memories by mermaids that will conveniently pop up to provide more exposition. Yeah, the- that was honestly. I think that was the dumbest, laziest possible thing they did. There, this had, there had to have been a script at one point that went into the whole fairy kingdom thing. And they were like, we got to cut this. You know, this is when they started budgeting out scenes and whatever else, they're like, well, unless we animate all this and that's going to push production back, we're running into, you know, it was like a $150 million budget. Like, I think to have done this right, they would have gone to like two hundred, three hundred million dollars. They're like, no, that's not happening. We've lost money on too many other pictures, so you got to cut this. And so they're just like, oh, fuck it then. The mermaids, the mermaids made memories in the water. I don't know. Like I can just, I can just see like frustrated screenwriters punching things up and taking things out and going, well, we had a good idea, but the studio shit all over it. I again, the the writers' room for this had to be equal parts. We can ignore this because we'll deal with it in the sequel, and I, we'll get to that in just a minute. Or studio executives going, "All righty, we've got notes, and they all come in the form of red ink." <laughs> the more I read the backstory on, on movies, you know, Fantastic Four being the, being the most recent one, the most the most famous one. But I've read other books and I've read articles on you know on movies and production, like what happened with with Age of Ultron and how that now how Marvel Studios is directly under Disney Pictures and no longer part of Marvel Comics um, as such. That, like, I think, you know, like, when you and I sit here and we see the finished product, we'd be like, what the fuck is this? You know, and we're like, oh, this could have been so much better. I bet, I bet a lot of the stuff that we're talking about was probably in a lot of these movies, but gets cut because of budgets. You know, they don't, you know, they they just go, I oh, you got to get rid of this. I honestly do not know what they spent $150 million on in this movie. <laughs> the Rock Quarry. I mean, look, good animation is not cheap. I get that, but your finished product did not require $150 million worth of animation. Well, they I mean, had to, do, they had I to know build you a have to pay everyone else and whatnot, but well, still. Hang on, they had to build a cave full of Pixum. That's a set. They did not build that. That <laughs> was all CGI'd. Okay. Let's they be had, clear there. 
they had to turn people they had to turn people into colorful cocaine. Which again, go to your local Krishna temple, ask politely to borrow some. Yeah, I don't know what they spent on. Again, there are certain movies with bloated budgets that I look at and I go, okay, this clearly got away from you. I mean, like John Carter. All right, I watched that movie. I know why it failed. It's a bad movie. But the you hear the budget, you know, two hundred some odd million dollars when it's all said and done. It's a huge flop. I look at that movie and I can go, you know what? With all the animation you did, with all the touch-ups you did, with all the recalls, recuts, re- you know, with all that, that movie's whole backstory, I look at all of it and I go, I can see it. I see where all the money went. You should have spent more of it on a believable lead actor than Taylor Kitsch, but I see it. With this, I'm like, Where? Where did you, nothing in this movie says, hey, we spent $150 million making this. Like, no. Did did Pan, did, did Peter Pan actually smack Jupiter in the movie? That looked more like Saturn. And it, it, it was just like, wait, what? It seemed like somebody had a great idea. Like, hey, he's going to grow so big, he can smack a planet around before we suck him into that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I this that doesn't sequence. work on any level. I watched that sequence. And I'm like, okay. So first we have to believe that he can breathe in space, but he's also on a flying pirate ship. So I'm going to go with go with it. Then he reaches out and touch, And like he doesn't just touch it. He like bits it. He's like yeah. smacking it around. Cat with a ball of yarn. Yeah. Like, uh, is he high? Is this, I, I just, is this supposed to be uh, a dream sequence? What's, what's happening here? Yeah, it's. It's just odd. Um, real briefly, because I have to touch on this again. Garrett Hedlund, the guy who plays their version of Captain Hook. Bear in mind that they wrote this version of Captain Hook as if, all right, we're going to try and give him the personality of Han Solo. We're going to fail miserably, but boy, we're going to try. And we're going to stick a hat on him. And please, it's clearly not the Indiana Jones hat. Why in the world would you put an Indiana Jones hat on on Han Solo. No, no. Clearly we are not trying to simply blend these two characters together without bothering to create our own or write believable dialogue. He tried so hard. I, I have no, I'm not gonna say a word bad about Garrett Hedlund's performance because he did the best he could with that. I will I will say bad things about it, not necessarily because it, it it's uneven. That's my biggest gripe with this. And at the end of the day, I have to imagine he's simply written unevenly. Because this is a guy who goes from normal speaking voice, maybe a little bit lower than normal because I have to put on... Again, I, I will John, slight... He turns into the John Levitt actor character from Saturday Night Live. Yes! He goes from normal, upright, speaking normally, to bent at the waist, raised eyebrows, big eyes, and a stupid grin. Like snapping your fingers. Sometimes I lie. Acting. Genius. Line. Yeah, it's... And again, I, I, I fault him in some ways, but mostly that, that character was so poorly conceived and written. And I, I maintain the only good version of Captain Hook ever put to film is Dustin Hoffman in Steven Spielberg's Hook. 
can I, can we go back a second? So sure. they got so so Amanda Siegfried's character hid Peter so that he would grow up eventually to overthrow Blackbeard. Why did Blackbeard not go on the hunt for this kid? Why not like try to find him? Because the other thing I is assume the... he didn't know he existed. That's the sum. That's the only thing I have is she escaped from his clutches, became pregnant, gave birth, and hid him all without Blackbeard knowing. That's all I've got. But th- there was the whole thing of like, I, there's a prophecy. There's always a prophecy. Which, which bothered me so much because here you have a guy who clearly wants to live forever. Says there's a prophecy about a kid who can fly that's going to kill you. Well, here's a kid that just flew, and your first instinct is not shoot him in the head. <laughs> well, I mean, and here's the other thing. If this is a kid's movie from start to finish in tone where no one dies, then of course he can't kill him because it's a kid's movie. But this scene occurs less than five minutes <laughs> from Blackbeard kicking a small child to his death. That's what killed me about this. It was like, wait a minute, you know that this kid possibly might be out there. You're kidnapping kids for slave labor. At no point do you think I might one day kidnap the guy that's going to bring me down and not even be if, on the look for even that. Even if you do, you just saw it blatantly. <laughs> and your your response should be draw a pistol, shoot child in head, move on with life. Or at the very least, you know, try to manipulate. That's the thing. Like there was, there was an opportunity here for him to, to try to maybe draw him to the dark side. Be like, I you would know, have been fine with as well. But no, it's just like, oh, you're the kid who might end my life. Fine, he, go back. Peter doesn't know that. You know, it's like he, when he sees him fly, he could have been like, oh shit, that's the kid. Hmm. Maybe if I give him enough candy and I treat him, you know, I treat him decently, I can get him to my side, and he won't try to overthrow me. You know, and I would have been whole... fine with that. Again, I would have been fine with him trying to kill him and the kid escaping then, too. Because, And again, my big gripe here is consistency within the character. Right. This Blackbeard kills people on screen. Okay, <laughs> if you want to go, I'm not complaining, all right? Let's be clear. But if that's the direction you are taking this, when presented with apparently a credible mystical threat to his life, he does not kill it. Where's the consistency? Yeah, they were. It was like uh, I guess uh, I'm looking at uh, who wrote this thing. It was written by Jason Fuchs, and I swear to God, he must have just watched a whole bunch of other movies and were like, "Fuck it, I'll just do that." <laughs> there was no attempt to be original in this at all. None. Oh, and it. And again, you, you and I talked about this. This whole movie, and, and again, I cannot recommend this movie to anyone. No, I, honestly, if you want a if you want a Peter Pan movie, you know, watch the animated Walt Disney one. Watch Hook with Robin Williams and and Dustin Hoffman. Um, <laughs> watch the most recent stage production that was captured on network television with Christopher Walken as Hook. Because I hear that's hilarious. Christopher Walken as Hook is hilarious, but again, this is one of the worst versions of this story I've ever seen. It's just not a good movie. Like I said, it's I, I, not. I, it, it, my wife asked me at the end, she's like, what'd you think? And I'm like, yeah, it was schmaltzy. I was entertained. But I mean, it's, but as we talk about it, I'm, I'm realizing it's like, it's just not a very well put together movie. It's, it's very paint by numbers. It's, it's just plain. There's nothing interesting about it. The sad thing is it's not even paint by numbers in the traditional sense. I'm okay with paint by numbers movies. 
This is like you took four different paint by numbers pictures, cut them up, repositioned them however you wanted, and then painted. Right. Um, all right. So the big thing that we keep we keep like hinting that we're going to talk about, but then running away from to talk about something else is, and and I'll use my wife's line about this. I asked her what she thought of it, and she's like, "Well, one thing I really didn't like was that it was like 120 minutes of sequel bait." And that's the thing. I and upon researching this movie. What I came to what I came to learn is that Warner Brothers put this out to create an interconnected Peter Pan universe, and it just brings me back to this idea of no one seems to understand what Marvel Studios is doing or why it works. Uh, yeah, again, the the sequel bait in this was deep and obvious. Again, you have Hook and Pan as friends for no discernible reason. I mean. Look, the friendship, if you want to call it that, since, again, since they ripped off Star Wars, let's go ahead and talk about that, even though I don't care much for the movies. The relationship established in A New Hope, first Star Wars movie, between, since these are the analogs, between Luke and Han Solo is understandable. You understand where each of them is coming from. There are enough moments with the two of them interacting that you get a feel for the dynamic. You understand why Han feels a bit, you know, feels connected, why he likes Luke. You understand the friction between them. And you don't get any of that here. I mean, the whole point, this whole movie feels like, okay, we're trying to set up, like you said, they're trying to set up a big interconnected universe, so they have to be friends so we can have the falling out in the sequel. And it seems like that was it. They didn't bother trying to make them actually be friends. And it just, and oh, we're going to have this whole big kind of underlying theme of what it means to be a grown up and how they lie and they're, you know, deceitful, horrible people. So consequently, hey, in the sequel, Pan's going to go on a big rant about how he doesn't want to grow up. Because he's seen what horrible people adults are. And oh, we've seen Hook try to use, uh, again, the hand. We know the hand's going to be lost. So hey, here's a bunch of shots with the hand prominently featured. But nope, it's not going off this time around, guys. (laughs) Why was TikTok croc the size of a fucking dinosaur? You know, I don't care. That, here's my thing about that. You have these birds that are poorly animated, that are half skeletal, half not. Okay, a giant and a giant crocodile is what's kind of throwing you off here. So yeah, the the, the intention of this movie was to launch sequels, was to launch, um, you know, spinoffs. You know, they could have done a whole thing with Tinkerbell and the Fairy Kingdom, but again, I don't know why anyone would want to see those movies. You got nothing about the Fairy Kingdom in this movie. Or Tinkerbell. He, she's literally name-dropped, and that's it. I mean, um, would it have killed them to have Hook have kept her prisoner as the last fairy he could find? Right. And she and Peter, you know, meet, and he rescues her as they're leaving, and she doesn't know anything more than he does? Because, well, I, I, back, I don't know. I go back to Blackbeard, the, the way that it should have been written was Blackbeard trying to manipulate Peter, you know, and Peter acts, and then flash, let's flash forward a little bit. You know, Peter has been a pirate now for a, for a long time. He's gone on raiding parties. He's, you know, he's a little a little uncomfortable, but he's Blackbeard's guy. Blackbeard's the, the father he never had. So 
He just he just wants to make him happy. And like, okay, you're getting to a point now where I'm going to need you to take on some missions of your own, some raids, you know. And across the across the Never Sea is the is the is the uh, is the Fairy Kingdom. It's the last great holdout. They've got the Pixum that I need. Go get it and slaughter any fairy that stands in your way, and have him get captured and have him meet Tinkerbell. You know, like things like that. There was so many other places they could have gone with this. But they went Have for him decide that a bunch nerd. of, you know, pirates wielding flamethrowers obliterating nice-looking pixies was just a bridge too far for his morals. <laughs> right. So, uh, 25% on the tomato meter. Uh, 52% don't like that. I, I don't get... Here's the thing about that. And again, I, I want to rant for a minute about why we can't just make movies anymore. But really briefly, to anyone out there who saw this and liked it, I, I do not understand. And this is not I don't understand in the same way that, uh, okay, there are people out there who think Zoolander is the height of comedy. I mean, I don't understand because I hate it viscerally. Okay. It is intellectually anathema to me, but I understand because humor is deeply subjective. So, okay. This is one of those things where I watch and I try to put myself into a different perspective, look at it from a different angle, and I just can't find any – I can't see it. I cannot understand how you saw this movie and walked out and went, yeah, that was good. Okay, here's a four-star review. The critics are being too harsh. This movie was magical and epic at the same time. Me and my friends loved it. Were you high? Because if you're high, Okay. <laughs> I will accept, if you are tripping balls and you go see this movie, you're probably going to have a great time. Okay. Here's a five-star review. Pan was a very entertaining, and I'm tired of all these nose-out-of-joint critics who slash movies constantly. <laughs> yeah. This was a new take on an age-old story that centers on a boy who is desperate to discover who he is, connect with his mother, and believe in himself. It captivated both me and my grandson. It was shorting thoroughly. I just, this is not a well-made movie. Oh, wait, this gets better. Five-star review. I thought Pan was a spectacular movie. The acting was excellent. The acting, Mr. Winfrey, was excellent. The effects were superb. You, you, (laughs) you, whoever wrote this. (laughs) I have to imagine the sum total of your exposure to good quality acting is limited to network television. And that's very selective at this point. You believe like the Big Bang Theory is the height of comedic acting. I enjoy the Big Bang Theory. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying the acting is mediocre. (laughs) I mean, Rooney Mara is nothing in this movie, as she is more often than not. Again, my rants on her aside. Garrett Hedlund is deeply back and forth and uneven. Hugh Jackman is all over the place, chewing scenery. And again, he's half written that way. Half of it is the guy just wants to have fun, I think. And again, I'm not passing too much judgment on that. The director doesn't know what what he wants out of his actors. I mean, I will say this. The kid, Levi Miller, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, Levi Miller. Fine. You know, when you when you make a child actor pretty much the focal point of your movie, you had darn well better get that right. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Five-star review. 
This movie was original and well-conceived. Sir, you're the type <laughs> of person who thinks that Lord of the Rings ripped off Harry Potter, aren't you? The critics are way off. Our kids, their friends, and all the adults that attended enjoyed the show. We highly recommend you take your kids to this wonderful adventure. Oh, what, um, you kids- pulled the audience? Is that what you did? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this wonderful tale of kids being kicked off pirate ships and, na- and pottery barn natives being turned into cocaine. He ki- Again, this is not a kid's movie. I have to stress that. And I'm not saying that kids' movies have to be stupid and, so- and you know, sappy and over the top, and we've talked about this at length, too. But this is not a kid's movie. And the sad thing is, I feel like the studio executives wanted it to be. Yeah, they they didn't know what they wanted. I mean, again, I feel like this is one of those things where someone involved with making this wanted a slightly darker, slightly more mature version of the story. Which is fine. You can tell that story if you commit to it and you make it very clear. I mean, look, uh, some of the, again, Maleficent was... Not a kids movie in the traditional sense. They tried with Maleficent. It come. It, it it's not great. We when we talked about that last year. It definitely has some problems, not the least of which are the guy who plays the villain uh, and his terrible Scottish poor, Char- poor Charlotte Copley, because that's a talented <laughs> actor when he wants to be. But man, um, but they at least you know, and, and we you know we talked about how they really ruined one of the great evil characters in, in Disney history. But other, but at least they tried with with the story. You know, they, they had this, um, you know, they had this sort of shepherd of a, and again, Maleficent at least looks really pretty. And Maleficent has the benefit of Angelina Jolie in the lead, which helps mm-hmm. tremendously. I didn't think the kid was bad in this one. I, you know, Levi. I, no, Levi, no, he was fine. Again, yeah. I, again, it, it, they got it right. They did not cast Jake Lloyd. <laughs> no, he did not. They got a decent child actor. All right. The last thing I want to touch on here. And we, again, they wanted to create an interconnected Peter Pan universe. So instead of, so instead of just concentrating on focusing on, you know, instead of waiting to see how well this was going to be received to see if this could, this could be a base for more Peter Pan movies and Tinkerbell movies and whatnot. They, they just sort of rushed out this sort of, you know, phantom menace essentially they they rushed out this. I'd rather watch the Phantom Menace than this. Oh God, that's one of those statements that really shows the difference in age between the two of us. Um, Look, I, hey, no, no, no. I intend that more as a slam on this movie. Okay. Than it is, and to me, I'm not praising Phantom Menace here. I'm saying that's how bad this was. But instead of, like I said, instead of really putting together a really great movie, you know, sort of talking, putting in some of the things that we're talking about showing us things in the movie and really going all out with the budget and making sure we had the most, you know, a really a pleasurable visual experience. They were just like, just throw, just get the shit out there because we'll, you know, the seat, we'll do better with the sequel. Seemed to have been be a television series spinoff. Yeah. And then the lost boys are going to have their own series of adventures. Right. It'll be and the they're going to reboot the whole thing in four years anyway. It'll be the lost boys NCIS. Uh, Mark, why can't we just make movies anymore? 
Did I? Did you not see the article I said that there were 98 movies currently either being remade or rebooted? I did. I saw it, and it depressed me. And first of all, don't try to remake it. You're not going to do it any better. You're just not. They're going to try again with Green Lantern simply because DC, we must have the DC Cinematic Universe now. Key and Peele's remaking the Police Academy movies. Which I don't hold in. I like them, but I don't, you know, they're not like a sacred cow. Oh, I love them. I don't care that they're redoing them, but I love the Police Academy movies. I can't wait to do that on Long Road to Ruin. But uh, it seems like for some reason, and I can't blame Disney and Marvel for making money and for having, you know, the vision and the personnel in place to make an interconnected cinematic universe. Well, hang on. Let, let me go back a sec. Marvel Universe, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe started with an idea. We it's wanted, a happy accident more we, than anything. We want, it, we want to build towards the Avengers. So we're going to do several different solo movies with all of these characters, then do one big event movie with all the characters. Okay, what are you going to do after that? We're going to do more with those characters, but this is all going to lead to a big event movie from a comic book we did 20 years ago that they're all familiar with. And that's the thing. It's, it's already got a built-in audience, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. People are familiar with Thor. They're familiar with Captain America. They're familiar with Iron Man. So it's not like they have to reinvent these characters. And then they just happen to write pretty decent scripts for all these movies. I mean, like I said, the, the Dark World had problems. But overall, it was a fun movie to watch. At the very least, people enjoyed the character Thor. So even, even if he's in a bag of shit, which was his first movie... His people first movie is not it. that bad. I get so sick of people not understanding Shakespearean approaches to movies. The first Thor? Yes. <laughs> you mean Thor? Thor's Day Off? I'm just saying. It's Again, I have debated this with plenty of other people. I don't want to rehash it. I was going to say, we may need to restart this podcast, but if you want to have a debate over whether or not the original Thor was a bag of shit. Because, again, I, I don't want to re-debate it. I very much enjoy it. I There's a lot that is I done very, it. very well. I enjoy it, but if you want to talk about a rush to the finish line, just, just to get it done with, I mean, people give the first, Captain America the first Avenger shit. At least that had a story. This was, you know, this this was like, come on, we got we to gotta get Thor on the, you know, in a movie. We got to get Thor in a movie and just fucking rush all the way through it. Uh, look, do I think it could have been better? Sure, but again, I, I just I get so sick of people. Okay, you want to know my opinion anyway. on on the first Thor movie? Watch the honest trailer. Uh, uh nah, maybe. <laughs> All right, get us out of here. All right, uh, Mark, you have next week off. I do. It's going to be uh, you're going to be in the captain's chair, and it's going to be, uh, you're going to have a different co-host, you know, Jason Teasley. Yeah, we're, uh, Jason Teasley and I will be reviewing Guillermo del Toro's latest movie, Crimson Peak, because Mark doesn't like the scary. Nope. Even though gothic horror is kind of its own animal when it comes to that, and not really scary in the traditional sense of the word, but even though I don't live in ki- in the kind of house that she's going to be in in Crimson Peak, I still don't want to watch that movie. Uh, now I'm afraid things like that will happen in my house. That's just the way I am. 
It's okay. I'm I'm not gonna. Uh, okay, I'm not going to mock you for you know not liking scary things. I don't like funny things or stupid things, and too often when they overlap. <laughs> so I just uh, you know fine, it's okay. So again, next week Jason Teasley and I will be reviewing that. I anticipate a good movie. Uh, Guillermo del Toro has not made a bad one yet, and he's made some really great ones. Uh, for example, if you haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth, you're missing out on one of the best movies, oh geez, of the last decade. And Hellboy. So we'll be reviewing that. Uh, and Hellboy, yes. <laughs> and Hellboy 2, which I find superior to Hellboy 1. And Pacific and, Rim. And Pacific Rim, which I have a blast with. I love Pacific Rim. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And anyway, the week after that, Mark and I will be back with a double review to kick off November. Yes, a split seven inches, I like to call it. Yeah, I'm not going to make jokes. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> so Robert Robert Winfrey will be uh, reviewing Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension, and I will be reviewing what, six? It's Paranormal Activity 5 or 6, I think, and I think it's five. 6. No, well, it's 5, because the, uh, the lost ones... But no, so the marked ones didn't count. Why doesn't it count? Because it, it's not part of the it's not part of the paranormal activity sequence. See, it's, it was. Well, Los Muertos doesn't count, and uh, Paranormal Activity Tokyo Nights are both independent from that. But I thought the marked ones was actually within the greater continuity. It's from my understanding, the fifth paranormal activity movie proper is the Ghost Dimension. All right. It's the ongoing well, I'll story. Of, after I see it. It's the ongoing story of Katie Vick and her family. Then we'll count the others as actually the marked ones is pretty darn good. Is it really? Well, I mean, you won't like it. <laughs> okay. Because you'll wind up being scared. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as it's again, three and four are awful. Five is actually okay. Um, isn't that the point of a horror movie is to frighten people? Well, it should be. <laughs> okay. Um, so yes, he'll be doing the fifth of the Katie of the Katie story. Um, in Paranormal Activity the Ghost Dimension. I will be reviewing Gem and the Holograms. We're gonna have a daddy daughter day. It's gonna be fantastic. I maintain I will be watching you got off worse than I did, sir. Your movie will be exponentially worse than mine. <laughs> Well, you keep saying like, "Oh, I already know what the plot is," and it's like, "Yeah, it's gonna be hard to it's gonna be hard to defend that." I'm gonna gonna be I'm gonna try very very hard to find something redeemable about this movie. Hey, look, if there's stuff that's good about it, feel free to tell me. I just I slam the overall narrative simply because I've seen it plenty of times before and a few times when it didn't suck. Well, that's, that's, so, it'll, it'll probably be that it'll probably be as basic a narrative as anything. You know, um, girl, girl has whatever problems girl becomes uh uh becomes popular uh girl turns on her friends girl you know girl then returns on the person who corrupted her in the first place evil, mu- evil record executives because music should be free damn it yes and then finds out that friendship is indeed magic I, and that's fine as long i swear with their stupid makeup they're probably going to wind up every one of them will have their own little pony mark on their cheek I swear, it's just but, that stuff. But here's the thing. All I care about is that if my daughter will enjoy it. If she can get through the whole thing, 
and she at the end of it is just like that movie was fantastic and we get the DVD then it, it's a success I imagine those things will happen and you will be shelling out too much money for the DVD a month or so later for Christmas probably <laughs> she's, All been right. me, she's been telling me recently she wants a guitar so we'll see what happens yeah, this is uh, just going to make that worse. I, I feel bad. At least you didn't ask for drums. No. Nah. All right. But with that coming up, um, as always, you can find me uh, Sunday evenings, this evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show is back. We are previewing UFC Fight Night 76 from Dublin, Ireland. Ought to be a lot of fun. Which Those just Irish- fight. It did. It lost the co-main event, actually, which sucks. I mean, don't get me wrong, Steepy Miocic and Ben Rothwell is probably going to suck anyway because heavyweights. But, you know, they lost uh, a pretty relevant fight as far as that goes. I mean, the main event's fine. They're going to have a great gate anyway because they've got the main Irish stars, the not named Conor McGregor, who will probably never fight in Ireland again because the UFC likes money. And until they can actually sell him in a stadium defending the belt, they won't. So, But they got the other main ones on that card, so it'll be fun. The Irish crowds are awesome. Uh, best fight atmosphere I've ever witnessed, and that includes all the Brazilians and whatnot. That was that was something else, the last card for Dublin. So speaking of that card, next Saturday I'll be providing live coverage of said card, so stop by the MMA Zone to 411 Mania. Say hello. I appreciate it. Uh, Mark, you're talking Jaws tomorrow, yes? That is correct, sir. Uh, tomorrow starts our two-part look at the Jaws movies. I've actually watched now the original Jaws and Jaws uh, 2. We'll be talking about them tomorrow on Long Road to Ruin. Um, and then a week from that, uh, Metal Hammer of Doom. We'll be reviewing Throsomblot 2, The Wanderer. And then a week from that, right before Thanksgiving, we'll be finishing up Jaws and uh, we'll be looking at Jaws 3D and then Jaws the Revenge. Uh, those movies are not good. <laughs> um, I also, I'll warn you right now. Those movies are not good. <laughs> so I'm, I'm prepared. Um, I, I also, don't think you are. <laughs> I also want to uh, point everyone over to the casualheroes.com or .net, whichever you like. Uh, assuming it's up, it may or may not be, but it will be at some point. We actually did a WrestleCast, and it ended without us all hanging up on one another. Uh, it, it was actually a very pleasant show. So, Are you sure? That that doesn't sound like a Casual Heroes WrestleCast, Mark. Are you sure it, that's what it, you were on? There was minimal, snarky, uh, snipey kind of comments made at one another. We actually all pretty much got along, oddly enough. I'm going to ask what you were smoking and where I can get some to travel to this joyous place where people don't make fun of each other. I can only assume uh, a two-month hiatus taught certain members of the group. Maybe they they should not do what they were doing that caused a two-month hiatus in the first place. All right. So feel free to hop over there and listen to that. if professional wrestling interests you at all. And if it doesn't right now, I can only assume that's because you watch the WWE's product because it's, uh, yeah. Oh, NXT is good. And if for some reason, we all consider that separate. <sighs> I'm still on the WWE umbrella, but 
Yep. Okay, yes. allow me to refer well, allow me to rephrase. The main roster stuff that promotion is doing is bleh. Okay, if you go over to Casual Heroes right now, yes, you can find our latest WrestleCast Top 15 Fails. <laughs> All right, again, I'll be back next week with Jason Teasley. That's fun. I like Jason. We have a good time. Week after, Mark and I will be reviewing our split review. What's after that? Um, the James Bond. Oh, yes, Spectre. I, 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 I'm, I'm a little bit giddy, going to lie. Yeah, uh, real quick. Um, hey. And then the Peanuts movie will be the week after that. Yes. Uh, right now we've got, uh, oh, fuck off. Um, yep, Crimson Peak, then Gem and the Holograms slash Paranormal Activities. Um, now, the 4th of November, we're off. We're not doing anything. Okay. But we'll be, but then we're back on Veterans Day, the 11th. We'll be reviewing Spectre, then the Peanuts movie, then the Good Dinosaur. Uh, no, then we're taking another break the day before Thanksgiving so that Robert can go out with his friends and drink that are back from college. <clears throat> uh, yeah, Robert doesn't drink. <laughs> so that uh, Robert can ha- – so we're going to be taking the night off so that uh, Robert can go out bar hopping with his friends in Utah. But then yeah, we'll be back. Robert doesn't have friends. <laughs> Then we'll be back December 2nd for The Good Dinosaur. Uh, we're taking two weeks off. And then finally, uh, on December 23rd, The Force Awakens. And then December 30th, The Hateful Eight. And then early in January, we'll probably have one of these that is just a review of 2015 in general. I imagine it will be. we'll go over what we saw, what we didn't see. Uh, we'll reiterate some of our points. There will be a lot. Uh, I need a soundboard with John Lovitz as the critic. It stinks for our year and for our year retrospective, because when we retouch on some of these, so what do you think about Tomorrowland? It stinks. Do you want to schedule that before the before Star Wars, so we don't have a two week break? We could do that, sure. I mean, look, we all know I'm probably not going to be overly impressed with Star Wars. You're going to gush all over it, and then. Tarantino, we all know what we're getting into. Yeah. All right. So I'll put it on there now. Um, 2015, not 2915, 2015, year and movie review. Did it stink or not? Uh, I'll, we can also take that opportunity to anything that you and I didn't review officially that we may have seen, just kind of plug or say it was bad type thing. So. Because okay. we focus on big big releases, be they flops or successes. So if you happen to see anything between now and then, or you have it earlier in the year, or I have that we didn't get a chance to talk about, that would be a good time to, you know, do quick plugs and things like that. So We can talk about Trainwreck. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> you can talk about Trainwreck. Subtitled, we all really knew John Cena was gay. All right, get us out of here. I got to go run. All right, my dog now also agrees we should be done. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for following the show. You can like us on Facebook at Radulichin Broadcasting. That's R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H. Give us a like. Uh, That's the best place to get consistent updates about what's coming out in the future. 
you can follow us on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and Stitcher. That will allow you to rate us five stars or however many stars you think we deserve. Uh, if I'm being objective, probably two and a half, three, but I ask for five. Aim, aim high. Aim high. Uh, you can also give us comments, criticisms, critiques, make requests, things of that nature. We appreciate all of it. Uh, that's not me paying lip service. We do. It lets us know people are out there. We are always looking to improve the shows. Uh, so thank you all so very much for doing that in advance. Well, I'll be back next week with uh, the first horror movie of the year, officially being uh, reviewed here. There have been a few others released earlier, but bleh. <laughs> and in some cases, very much bleh. Uh, say bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> oh, that movie. I'm glad you found a running joke that's not Adam Sandler's career. <laughs> All right. For Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding everyone out there to continue to be well, be safe, and behave. And because Mark likes it, I'm kind of on the fence. Hail the apocalypse.